0: We'll be reading and preaching from 1 Samuel chapter 19 today. Apologize for getting that wrong in the bulletin. It's 1 Samuel 19. I'll preach from the entire chapter and and read that as well. Listen as I read God's word. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. So Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. When the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair on its head. And Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And He and Samuel went and stayed in Nioth, which now it was told to Saul saying, Take note, David is at Nioth in Ramah. and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul's, uh, uh, then, excuse me, uh, uh, then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku, So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are Nioth and Ramah. So he went there to Nioth and Ramah. Then the Spirit of God came upon him also. And he went out and prophesied until he came to, to Nioth and Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? There are many times in the course of history where one small event makes a change in the course of history. For example, little did Martin Luther know what would happen when he did something that was very common in his day. He posted 95 theological questions on a message board, the church door. He posted those questions wanting to have a, a conversation, wanted to have a debate about certain questions of theology. But what happened and the reaction that took place turned the world on its head. It was the beginning of what we would know today as the Protestant Reformation, We see this as an example of God's providence at work. Now, by providence, I mean that uh, that God is in control over all things that happen. I like the way that our Westminster Confession of Faith speaks of this. Providence means that God, the great creator of all, doth uphold, direct, direct, dispose and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. He is sovereignly in control over everything that happens. And this chapter about David displays God's providential care, how the Lord directed and he governed Jonathan and Michael and Saul. In all of their actions, whether they be high or and great or low, and uh, and simple. The chapter then presents a lesson in history to us about how we can understand and trust God and His providence. When you face the troubling times of this life, pray that this passage and the teaching of God's providence would assure you that the Lord is with you and that he loves you no matter what happens. With that in mind, I'm going to take this whole chapter and see the providential care of David that God gives through Jonathan and Michael and Saul. We'll begin with Jonathan. God providentially stirred up righteous Jonathan to defend David. Verses 1 through 10 present what's becoming a a very familiar scene. Out of jealousy, King Saul ordered his son and his servants to go grab David and kill him. But out of brotherly love, Jonathan came to David's defense. He warned David about Saul's plans. He he hid him until he could go to his father and, and speak for him to advocate for him. And then, even though he knew it was his father's intent to kill David, and even though he knew that his father was given to fits of rage, Jonathan went and did just that. He became an advocate for David. He came and he spoke for him, reminding his father of all that David had done, that he had never sinned against him, that he had taken his life in his own hands to go and face the giant Goliath, and that the Lord had brought about a great victory through David. And in all of his ways, David had acted righteously towards Saul. And he reminds his Father, you even saw this. You rejoiced in it. Now, Father, don't sin against this innocent man. And Saul listened and was persuaded, at least for a time. And he swore an oath that David would not be killed. And so, for a time, David was restored to Saul's favor and was in his presence as in times past. That is until the Philistines invaded again and David went out to war again and David again had this great victory. And then that spirit of God came upon Saul and troubled him once more. So that he forgot his promise, he forgot David's goodness, and he tried once again to take his spear and to stab David and pin him to the wall. The Lord allowed him to escape. Now much more could be said about Saul's jealousy. I will refer you back to the chapter before to remember that. For today, I want you to see God at work in this. And first of all, God at work through Jonathan, who stood up in the face of his father's anger and his plots to kill David, and he publicly advocated for David. This is God at work through the righteousness of Jonathan to do what was right towards David. The Lord used this to protect him. He had already honored David when he came home with the victory over the Philistines, and now his faith Leads him to stand resolutely by David's side, even though David is falling out of favor and is threatened by the king, by his own father. And yet, Jonathan knew that this was wrong and so comes and he stands by David's side to defend him. He hid David, he then spoke to Saul he advocated and brought David back into Saul's good favor. This provides guidance for us as we see Jonathan's courage and his faithfulness. It provides guidance for us to understand that the Lord is providentially with us in the midst of any of the troubling times that we go through. It may be that we face times of sickness, even to death itself. It may be that there are pressures by the society that are being brought to bear against the Christian church, and we wonder how we may stand. It may even be that those in authority over you, whether they be at work or by the government, it may be that they command you and require you to sin, Perhaps you have faced this already, or perhaps you will face it in days to come. When you face this, remember that God is providentially and sovereignly overseeing all of the things that happen in our lives. You may face threats, you may face even serious consequences but it may also be that the Lord is raising you up to stand and to give witness, even in an evil age, about what is right. And that by trusting in the providence of God, you may be able to stand in an evil day and to witness about what, is, what God would have you to do. And who knows? whether the world will be turned upside down by the acts of simple men and women who are trusting in the providence of God. Secondly, God providentially overruled Michael's misguided motives. Verses 11 through 10 tell how David fled to his home but Saul pursued him even there. He sent messengers to go to his house to kill him there, to wait until the morning and uh, and that they would seize him and kill him. But David's wife, Michael, argued with David and convinced him that he needed to escape that night. Otherwise, Saul would have his way. And so she made that possible. She lets David out of a window at night. And then as morning comes, she took an image and, and hid it in the bed, covered it with blankets and clothes, even put something on the head of that idol so it looked like a real person, took some goat's hair and put it there so that anybody peeking in the window or in the door would say, oh, David is, is in bed. When the messengers said, well, where's David? She could say, "Oh, well, he's, he, he's sick today. He's sick in bed. Leave him alone. And the messengers are like, well, we can't kill a sick guy, can we? And they go back to Saul. Saul says, don't believe them. I, go and kill him in his bed. He's so angry at David that he would send his messengers to carry out this death sentence, even in his own bed. Well, they, they find out the trick that Michael has played. It wasn't David in the bed. Lo and behold, it was this idol that had been disguised. And as Saul finds this out, he becomes furious now at his own daughter. Why did you do this? To escape her father's anger, Michael told another lie. It's not my fault. David threatened me that he would kill me unless I went through with this. All the while, David has escaped, and the trail is getting cold. Well, Michael came to David's defense, but I want you to see that it's, it's in a in a different way than what Jonathan did. Jonathan came right out and stood up to the king. Jonathan understood what was right and he stood up even to his father and to the king in defense of an innocent man, in defense of God's man. And Michael, uh, Michael uses deception to protect her husband. Now, I'll, I'll just briefly mention that this opens the door to a, an ethical question about conduct in warfare. The question is, is it right to deceive someone to save a life? Is it right to deceive an, a, an invading army or someone coming into a room to kill your husband? Is it right to tell a lie? And one answer is that enemies forfeit the right to the truth when they are the aggressors. And, uh, and I think Michael can fall into this category. But, but what do we make of this, this idol in our household? It really muddies the water and muddies the intention and, and our understanding of the faith that may or may not have been There, in Michael's case, whatever we can say, we can say that she at least was still clinging to some of the old gods of the land of Canaan, those that were supposed to have been put away. And Michael has fallen prey, as many of the children of Israel did, to continuing the practice of worshiping idols, and that colors our understanding of what Michael does. It colors it with a, a, a with a sense of of mistrust of the one true God of Israel. Where Jonathan goes and stands in defense of of David, there's a sense of his understanding that there is only one true God. You'll trust him no matter what what the king will do. But Michael's mistrust comes through not only in the lie, but the disguise and, and, and the way in which she went about this. Gordon Ketty summarizes it this way. He says, I believe that we are presented with all the pathos of the human condition in its confused complexity. In other words, she is admitting that there's a mixture here for Michael. He goes on and says, through her courage, the Lord saved David's life, but she was She nowhere gives evidence of trusting the Lord for David's safety or her own. We have the advantage of considering this in in the safety and prosperity of our own homes and, and in a public place where we're not threatened as we come to worship. Without condoning or even understanding all of Michael, we can say that it it certainly seems muddled. And I've called her as having mixed motives. We can say that, uh, uh, much like we find in our own selves, that that we are often not pure in the way we go about things. Oftentimes our motives are conflicted by, by the fear of the consequences that will fall against us the fear of man, the fear of enemies, even the very fear of our lives. But even so, God providentially rules. You see, the Lord did providentially use Michael. Whatever your conclusion is about her, he overruled Michael's mixed motives, so that David escaped. David was long gone by the time they finally uncovered that disguised idol in the bed. And once more, David escaped. What about Saul? Jonathan acted righteously, Michael acted. With mixed motives. Saul acted wickedly. He had nothing righteous to accomplish as he was continuing to seek out David. Verses 18 through 24 tell us how God providentially thwarted God's e- or Saul's evil plans. David took refuge with the prophet Saul and Ramah. The word trickles back to Saul so that he knew where David was and so once again he plotted to capture David and to kill him. He sent out his messengers again, his henchmen to go and find David and again to to kill him. They track him down with the prophet Samuel and as they come up to arrest David, The spirit of God comes upon the messengers that Saul sent so that they are overcome and they begin to prophesy as well. And they do not carry out the task that Saul sent them on. So Saul sends a second party of henchmen. And the same thing happens. They come upon David. They're going to arrest him. The spirit of God comes on them and they prophesy. And the third party comes, and the same thing happens. And so Saul comes himself to carry out the deed. If you want things done, you've got to do it yourself. So here comes the king to kill David. And as he is on the way, the spirit of God comes on Saul so that he prophesies. And imagine Saul speaking words of truth once more. I alluded to this last week in the, in the previous chapter where, where Saul prophesied in his house. And I think this is happening again here. The Spirit of God is speaking even through a wicked man who is there to do an evil deed. And the Spirit of God thwarts that plan by causing Saul to speak the truth about this man, David. And we're not told what he said, but you have to see it in the context. What did Samuel proclaimed? The Lord has rejected Saul because of his unbelief. The Lord has rejected you, he said to Saul to his face. And the Lord will raise up a man after his own heart who will be king in your place, who will do as I command. Just imagine Saul proclaiming that truth once more, unable to stop. And not only that, But he is then humiliated by speaking this truth and by disrobing and continuing that prophetic word before Samuel and the prophets. Or some question as to what it means of his disrobing. It is at least having the idea of his shedding his royal robes those things that signified him as a king over Israel, and he lays those off as he has come to do something wicked and the Lord intervenes. It may be more. It may be that he strips completely naked and lies there humiliated in the eyes of mankind humiliated so much so that it became a proverb about Saul. As Saul pretends to show authority once again, as Saul pretends to rule and does so for many more years, the proverb about him rings in the ears of the people. Is Saul also among the prophets? Just as a reminder of God's overruling Saul's plan to kill David and humiliating him over the evil of what he planned. This is God's sovereign providence at work. Whether it be the righteousness of Jonathan that turns the tide of the day, whether it be... The, the, the mixed actions of Michael that the Lord overrules, or whether it is the direct offense of the wicked Saul who has come to kill David. The Lord rules over all of this. Saul acted wickedly. God thwarts the plans of the wicked. God preserved David through his providential control. And this passage illustrates it in really these three fascinating ways. And we learn about the way the Lord rules over history. We don't always have a chapter and verse like this that we can turn to to see that God is, is at work here. But we can, by faith, understand that the Lord does indeed providentially reign and rule over all things, whether they be high and mighty kings or presidents or despotic rulers down to a common monk or a common person. The Lord is reigning and ruling. Now, the Lord doesn't always deliver in the way that we want or the way that we plan. He is God, and His plans are not our plans, and many times His pur- purposes can be invisible to us. Sometimes He does protect and defend from the heated attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And sometimes he preserves you so that you walk in the midst of those troubling things. We can see that even in this passage today. God did protect David from Saul's plot to kill him. But David was still on the run. And he will be for years. The Lord was still reigning. The Lord was still ruling over that situation. And so for us, as we face the troubles of this life, whether it be a sickness even to death itself, whether it be sorrow of brokenness in relationships, whether it be the open assault of those who are anti-Christ, the Lord reigns and is in control over all of these things. And as you, as you go through those troubles, whatever happens, you can know that the Lord is always providentially directing and governing everything that happens. Because of this, like David, you can face those troubling times, assured that the Lord is with you and that he loves you no matter what happens. May God Give you peace and courage to follow after him. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, we pray that you would be sanctifying us so that as we experience the troubles of this life, we might know what is right and good, and we might follow in your ways. And God, when those troubling times come, when the fear of death may come against us, I pray that that uh, we would see that you are still with us, that sometimes you are shepherding us, even in the valley of death, or giving us a table in the presence of enemies. We know, Lord, that you will be with us and love us to the end. And so, God, I pray that we would courageously go forward looking to Christ, our Redeemer, knowing that you are providentially ruling over all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Psalm 16, we ask that the Lord would preserve us, and we confess that uh, whatever that we experience, that the Lord is our guide and is our God, we confess that he is our inheritance, is our Uh, our reward, and that that reward is in in this life, even though it may be through times of trouble, and is in the life to come when the Lord receives us into his presence forevermore. Let's stand and sing Psalm 16 d